Hello and welcome to the Tightwad Teacher Podcast, brought to you by Element Opie Productions, elementopie.com. And now, here are your hosts, John Mikulski and Brian Brueger. Hello everybody, welcome to the Tightwad Teacher, episode 26, Technology Resolutions for January 3rd, 2012, the first time I get to say 2012. Um, we have a really good show for you today. It's actually a little different than our usual shows, but first let me... Uh, give you some heads up on who's with us today. Uh, so with me, as always, is Brian Brueger. Brian, say hi. Uh, good day to you. And uh, also joining us, I think, for the second time in a row now is Mark Cockrell. Mark, how's it going? Greetings, everyone. How come you go with 2012 rather than 2012? I mean, you didn't say I, 1900 and, uh, and 99, did you? I did, yes. I was oh, okay. a, a tr- I was trying to be a trendsetter. It took about a decade for it to get here, but... Uh, okay. I'm I'm basking in it now. See, I had a reason why I didn't say I said 2011 instead of 2011, and that's because 2011 e e e it's hard it, it's hard to say it's hard to enunciate properly. But 2012 so 20, rolls right off the tongue. So, but doesn't 2000 that. 2012 doesn't that sound it just it sounds more definitive? And this is technically isn't this supposed to be our last year? Right. So I want to make sure I get it right. I mean, if, if I'm never going to get to do it again, I want to do it right. Yeah. But really, I guess at, at this time next year, if the Mayans were right, it's not going to really matter which one of us were saying That's it right. That's a good point. I have a, I have a teacher I, I work with who actually, as we speak, is in Florida because um, she figured this might be her last Christmas break to fly down to Florida and do Disney World. So nice. She, she That's, she that's why I it. moved to Florida because I figured it was my last opportunity. There you go. You know, eight so. years ago. All right, so let's talk about the show today. Uh, it's titled Technology Resolutions because we wanted to do something with the whole idea that it is the start of the new year and it's the first show uh, of January for us. And rather than have a guest on, the three of us wanted to share some of our insights, some of uh, based on uh, our professional experiences. These aren't going to be our technology resolutions. Instead, they're going to be the resolutions that we think you should have as teachers using technology. That doesn't sound too pompous, does it? Uh, it sounds like I'm <laughs> pleading. You know, I, I've yeah. done that. I, for those of you who don't know, I'm a technology coordinator at a school, and I spend a lot of my time pleading with my teachers to do very basic things. So this will be right up uh, up my alley. That's yeah, exactly how I felt. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, well, I, sat, I sat there looking through and trying to come up with good ideas, and um, I just, you know, after I got the first one or two, then they started just rolling off the tongue. <laughs> so let's uh, let's just jump right into them, and I, we'll just kind of go in any which order here. But these, again, are all things that we think teachers should be doing, and um, I, I hope they don't come across too much as cheap shots, although some of them certainly will be. Um, but these are all things that, you know, over the course of the year, I find myself doing and myself being uh, finding very beneficial, but at the same time, things that I don't see people around me doing. And I think I'm in a, a unique position here because unlike uh, you, Mark, and actually Brian, too, I guess I'm, I'm the only one with my feet in the classroom. So I, I have a, a different perspective because I'm kind of in those trenches and I see what people are and aren't doing uh, at a different level. But um, so let me start off. This is one that actually I have to admit I just recently started to uh, take advantage of and it's something that I think teachers don't think a whole lot about but it's very very easy to set up and it's something that I think um, you can incorporate not so much into your classroom like in your lessons but just in your life at school and the school community as a whole but I think every teacher needs to go to Google and set up a Google alert because Google alerts are a great way, first of all, to keep track of your school and what's going on in your community. It's also a great way to see if anyone's saying good things or bad things about yourself. Um, 
I have a Google alert set up, all kinds of stuff. I think, Mark, we mentioned you mentioned this earlier. I think you called it a vanity alert. Is oh, that yeah. right? I've got those for, for everything I could possibly be involved in. Absolutely. Yeah. So I have like a, a Google alert on my name. So if anywhere on the web, whether it's a blog or in a newspaper or a crime blotter or whatever the case, uh, <laughs> if my name, I'm just, I'm just throwing out things that maybe teachers would be want to be aware of. Does this happen uh, often, John? No. Although now that I'm thinking about it on the fly, it would be great to make some, te- uh, some alerts on some students names and see what comes up because i imagine <laughs> i have some some former students that that get highlighted often in the news blotter but well, I, so uh, I work in a small town i have a, a an alert for just the name of the town so i i get all the basketball scores that are posted all the arguments that go on in the sports forums anytime somebody uh is arrested for jaywalking uh, all the obits i get everything in that one yeah Very and nice. it's actually it really is good to have that like going back to the actual teacher use of it I've used it in the same thing, Mark. I, I'm in a fairly small school district, and anytime the boys' basketball team wins, I get that little news blot. And it's great for me to see one of my kids and say, hey, I heard you scored a point the other day. And they look at me like, well, how'd you know that? And it's such a quick and easy way because what Google Alerts does is every time, every 24 hours, you can set it for, for different increments. But they just send you an email, and it has a list of all the links that that particular Google alert showed up on. So it, it's a great way to keep in touch with your school and with your community. And it's also a great way to snoop. Man, I, every time something small happens in my district, I know about it before anyone else does because I get that Google alert. So Now, if you uh, live and work in, say, Manhattan, that might be a little less useful. That might get tricky, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it pays to be in small towns. Right. And so uh, how how do you do a Google alert? It's super easy. Uh, anytime you do a Google search at the bottom after you uh, type it, as, it asks you if you want to create a Google alert for it. So you type in any search query and you look down at the bottom and you set it up like that and it goes right to your email. So there's my first resolution. Everyone has to go out and make a an alert for at least your name because you always want to know what people are saying about you, whether it's good or bad. Very nice. Brian, you um, got one? Yeah, my... My biggest thing that seems to be a recurring theme um, in every school or district that I've ever been in is passwords. You know, they're the one thing that we love to have, but we also love to hate. We want to have good passwords, but then we can never remember them. Um, So we make them, you know, our children's names or, you know, grandchildren's or dogs or, or this and that. And... You know, so the way I actually wrote it down is, you know, how safe are your passwords? You know, the ones that you keep under your keyboard, because, (laughs) you know, we've all gone in or, you know, seen a family member or another teacher and you just kind of flip it up and there you go. There's their password underneath the keyboard or they've got a piece of paper when they ask for your password, you know, that they pull out from underneath the calendar on their desk and here's the whole list of passwords and stuff. So. I actually thought that I would try to help us with the passwords and the idea. There is a website, um, grc.com, and this guy is essentially, um, his name's Steve Gibson, and he's come up with a very you know, simple way to describe passwords and what the difference between a good one and a bad one is and, and so on and so forth. And he did such a good job with it, a local news station um, out in California picked up the story and describes um, if you actually go to his website which is grc.com slash haystack um, on that website 
he's got a little link to an ABC seven, um, uh, news story. And in about 150 seconds, they talk to you in simple terms about passwords and what makes a good one and why a longer password is better and why it's not good to use your child's name or your dog's name or, you know, things like that. And quite frankly, easy ways to remember, you know, create good passwords that are also easy to, to, um, to remember. Um, cause it seems like we always have a million different passwords and we can never remember a, what they are or B they're still incredibly simple. Um, and so we just give them to anybody. I know my teachers love to do that. You know, Oh, well this is my password. You can, you can just, you'll know it. It's, it's fine. Right. Yeah. I, and, I always tell people, I don't want to know your password. Don't tell me. <laughs> right. I'll hand them exactly. the keyboard and say, you know, you need to sign in for me. Oh, my password's yes. Jim. No, I don't want to know that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> because if I know it, then something happens. You can come to me and say, you knew my password. Um, exactly. I don't want to know it. I had a friend so, who had a great little algorithm. He, he had like six uh, random characters. It was like AFQL9B. And the only thing that changed was the B. And so he had a post-it note on his monitor that was whichever letter he was up to. So he'd have just a little post-it note that said C. All right. And the next time it changed, it changed to D. And to e. I think that's great because he knew what it meant. Nobody else would know what it meant. And he's got 26 iterations before he ever starts repeating. Right. Exactly. Although I remember this Haystack link, actually, I don't know, Brian, I don't think you were around for this yet. Um, at one point when Sean Kybel was still a, a tightwad teacher and not just a tightwad techer, uh, I think this was actually his tech tip was this Haystack website. And uh, mm-hmm. I remember looking at it and I put my the typical password I use because I do have that one default one. And it sure. says that it, c- it can be cracked in under three seconds. So I thought, all right, I should probably change that. It wasn't and, uh, monkey, was it? No, no, that's actually monkey is one of the top ones. Though. I know, I know. Monkey password one two three or whatever. Jesus. But yeah, 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 yep. Um, but I, uh, one of his tech tech tips, which actually is a great idea, and it fits in with what you're talking about, Brian. If you take your even your regular password that you use for everything, and you add one or two random characters into it, like an asterisk or a quote sign or a comma exponentially makes it more difficult for people to crack. And that's always a kind of a neat Absolutely. idea. And I've started doing that too. Yep. I mean, take the password. I'm, I'm using the website right now to put in the password dog. And in an online attack scenario, they say it's going to take 18 seconds. Right. But if you take dog and put three periods behind it, it's now 1.36 years. Right. So, exactly. Because I mean, the, the key thing to remember there is the attacker doesn't know what's in those spaces. So you can fill them up with anything, and he has to guess randomly at everything to get there. Exactly. So something as simple as, you know, make all your passwords at least 10 characters. And even if you did use a, a, an animal name, and then you just put dollar signs on the end in order to equal 10 characters, that would at least be easier. What I find so frustrating is some sites, um, whether they be you know Web 2.0 sites or bank sites or whatever, that won't let you use special characters yeah. or won't let you use upper or lowercase characters. Um, as a, I would say, somewhat um, security nut, um, it just infuriates me. <laughs> 
Well, and this problem with passwords, I don't know if it's necessarily like going away, but it's changing because you're, it's kind of like a 50-50 case now. A lot of sites now, especially like you mentioned web 2.0 sites, they're allowing single sign-on using your Google account. So that makes it a little mm-hmm. bit easier. But then the other 50% of sites are actually making it harder. I, I recently uh, got an, a new uh, website that I'm using where in addition to needing numbers and letters, because that's kind of something that started up a couple years ago, I now need to have a capital letter and it needs to be somewhere inside my password. It's like, well, that I'm never going to remember that now. So uh, you do need to come up with some kind of pattern so that you know what your password's going to be like. Mark, I like your idea of like having a, a stock one where you just change one digit or something so you're going to remember it. And that's hopefully not something that you have to uh, stick on a post-it note under your keyboard. Yeah. Sure. I can throw in a, a tech tip. Um, I don't know if I had mentioned this before, but lastpass.com, as in the last password you would ever need, Preacher, brother. Is, a, is a fantastic <laughs> and what I call the only um, password management tool that I would ever recommend um, to anyone, um, there's a free version and it works on, you know, multiple platforms and all that kind of good stuff. And I use that religiously. Yeah. Um, I literally don't know most of my passwords. LastPass knows them and that's good enough. There you go. Exactly. I use it to generate a random string of gibberish that I never look at again. Yep. That's exactly how I am. And I hope I never have to type it in because it is a tough random string of gibberish. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, I on know, that Mark, note, that I, for, well, I, was gonna, I want to throw in real quick, you know, for the techie people, I, I would like to m- perhaps revisit. And so if you are a, you know, a, a tech in a school and you're listening to the, to the podcast, I would love to hear from you on the idea of changing your password all the time, because I have not yet been convinced that just because we change our password every 90 days, that it's actually better. In fact, I'd argue that our, our teachers are so frustrated by changing their password that it's That's actually the worse. <laughs> yeah. well, well, John, let me, uh, or Brian, rather, let me answer that uh, because I'm one of those guys who has one of those policies, uh, and I stand by that policy. I understand uh, the logic of people saying have one good password; it doesn't need to change. Because the idea there is um, the only time it becomes important to change it is after it's been compromised. And so if you have a 90-day policy, you have to hope it doesn't get compromised on day one because then they've got 89 days to do whatever they want. So I Mm -hmm. get that. But in my small school, I have seen too many times teachers give a password to that trusted student or to their (laughs) child. Um, It happens far too often. And so I make them change. We have a nine-week block schedule at my school, and they change it every nine weeks. So four times a year they have to change it. They still think I'm a, um, a beast for doing that. But because the human element makes it too easy to give passwords away, I require sure. changing. So there's, there's my answer to your question. Fair enough. But now do you have it set so that they can't change it to a previous password after they've changed it once? It remembers three passwords. So okay. they have to come up with four unique ones throughout the year. Now, and what that's I, fair enough. What I know some Four. of them do... Right. They just change it four times. Right. That's what some of them do. They change it four <laughs> times immediately to go right back. And I'm fine with that. <laughs> Fair enough. If you're going to go Fair to that enough. effort, go for it. <laughs> right. Well, on that note, Mark, what else bugs you? I mean, 
what other resolutions do you have for your teacher? <laughs> well, I, I don't know what things are like in other schools, but I know what they're like in my school. And I will frequently be talking to a teacher about an unrelated problem. And they'll say, oh, by the way, the printer in the library hasn't worked since 1964. Um, and I'm like, uh, did anybody report that? Does is, is has has anybody been? I mean, we have a support uh, help desk uh, system, and there's nothing there about it. I never got an email about it or a phone call about it. And they always say, "Well, I just figured you knew." Don't figure they know. All right, it's better for a tech to get seven or eight uh, requests about the same thing than to get none and for it to go months at a time. Now, let me. Uh, um, uh, fill that in a little farther. They don't want seven <laughs> or eight from the same person via different media. Okay? Very we nice. We don't need an email and a phone call and a note in our box and a, a mention as we walk down the hallway and uh, Morse code. We, we don't need that. But if seven people all make a help desk ticket, what I do is is I, I chart the first one and the six others. I say duplicates of this number and close that ticket. And that's that's fine. I would much rather have that then have a problem go unnoticed for months because nobody bothered to mention it. Uh, the omniscient help desk problem. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can relate to that one most definitely in our school. Now, let me add on one tack on one extra little thing while we're on the topic of help desks because, again, as a teacher, this is something that I'm totally guilty of, and you're both going to roll your eyes at me. But uh, teachers, if you're planning on using something, if you have a big project and you need there's some software or there's a website that you're not sure if it's blocked or not, don't wait until the period before to check because all the help tickets in the world are not going to solve your problem if you need it in six minutes from the time that you uh, you call down there. And again, I'm speaking from experience because I do that all the time. I know that's that's a big thing that people always have against me is I'll I'll say to one of my technology you know trainers or whoever in the building, you know, I was going to use this, but it's blocked. And he said, well, did you file a ticket? Well, no, I needed it last period. Right. And uh, <laughs> maybe maybe that's just my nature, but it's not exactly the way to get things done. Let me give you uh, the, the audience of your show is mostly teachers. Uh, sure. uh, maybe a few techs out there. But uh, let me give you my analogy just so they understand what things are like. And, and Brian, you can tell me if it if it makes sense. <laughs> uh, it well, it makes I, sense I already. Really <laughs> up on here. I realize that I'm now like... I'm I'm in the middle. I'm literally in the middle in our Google Hangout. I have one techie <laughs> on top of me, one below me, and I'm just getting smushed here. I know I'm getting myself set up for something. Hey, Go I'm ahead, just Mark. the producer, all right? You invited me to be a part of this show. <laughs> Ordinarily, uh, I'm not so much. Uh, but uh, for a tech, the life of a tech, I always uh, explain it to people, much like the television show House. If you've ever watched that show, Dr. House is brilliant and um, spends... 58 minutes of a 60-minute episode being wrong, and then two minutes he gets it right, okay? That's pretty much our life. You present us with problems that are as complex as the human body. It could have a million different variables, and we spend our time, most of the time, we're wrong. Most of the time, we don't know what we're doing. We figure it out. We make educated guesses, intelligent guesses, but let's be honest, they're guesses. And then we get it right, Okay. Now, if you come to us six minutes before the bell rings and say, I need this, you're the guy who is in the uh, emergency room while House is dealing with a sucking chest wound complaining about his hangnail, okay? Things have to be triaged in just the right order. <laughs> and I know your, import, your problem is the most important thing to you. It always will be. Your problem will always be the most important thing to you, but it doesn't make it the most important thing, 
So if you understand those two things, one, we're prioritizing things in the way, the best way we can. And two, we're almost always wrong. If you accept those two facts, you'll get along with your tech a lot better. <laughs> um, I couldn't have said it better myself. It, you know, for us, it's, it's a simple thing of, you know, yes, we're always wrong, you know, until we get it right. And that's the point in which we stop. I kind of like to look at it as there's no such thing as a tech emergency. And if there was, it's probably power related, meaning, you know, the power is out and now we have no access to technology, henceforth the emergency. Somewhere in the middle there, you know, there can't be a tech emergency because it can't come to a resolution fast enough as emergency, you know, would in, you know, come to expect, I, I suppose. So when you get a call saying, I'm standing in front of my students and I'm trying to do X, Y, Z, it's really difficult for us to come through and be that, you know, five second hero as much as we really would love to. It just, the probability is extremely low that we will guess right the first time um, and and get it resolved for you that quickly. It's all a tough pill to swallow here, guys. I understand what you're saying, but it, <laughs> you know, when you're in the heat of the moment, they talk about, you know, in teacher school, they talk about the teachable moment. And when I have that teachable moment and I have this great idea and I remember this thing I saw on a website and I go there and it's blocked <laughs> like now what do i do so i i understand i understand where you're coming from but um I, i'm going to just reemphasize that part about how you're usually wrong and, and then we can move on from there yeah, and I'm, totally, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm totally okay with admitting that because you know it it humanizes us we are not uh, oftentimes teachers look at text as some sort of wizard because we understand the black box and you don't but right. the fact is the reality is all of us no matter what our profession spend more time being wrong than we do being right yeah, that brings me one to one of my statements. As teachers and as techs and as people in life in general, be willing to fail. Because A, I can, you know, speaking for myself and knowing you guys, we are willing to fail and we do fail. And as teachers, I think there's this concept that, like you said, Mark, that, that, that we're wizards and that we just know all these things. Well, that knowledge comes from, you know, trial and error and failing at things along the process, you know, along the way. And, and you know, that me failing in front of students has happened many, many times. Um, and I think that our students really appreciate us being people, not just you know, robots where everything goes perfectly right and um, they can relate to us when things don't work perfectly. Now, with that said, though, as far as teachers go and using technology and everyone can think of one of these people that they work with, where anytime you put them in front of a computer to do anything, no matter how trivial or no matter how in-depth that task may be, their immediate answer is, oh, I'm no good at this stuff. I don't understand this. The kids know more than I do. And Brian, I agree with you. Like you said, it's okay to fail. It's okay to try something and fail. It's not okay to take that out and just say, well, I'm not good at this stuff. I don't like this stuff. So that's, I think, another good resolution is if you're one of those people who you hear it all the time. And 
I don't even want to say it's from the older teachers because it isn't always the case. I mean, there's that misconception that the the older teachers, the more veteran teachers are the ones that are afraid of technology. And that's not always true. But if you're one of those teachers who right away always say things like, oh, the kids know how to do this more than I do, or the kids know how to do this and they teach me everything. Make it a point to fix that because that's actually not always the best way to do things, especially if you're looking to use these you know, tools or using technology to, to enhance your lesson. It's kind of weird because in that case, then it's almost like you're putting the, the kids in control and that's always a, a terrible <laughs> runaway train. Here's an analogy <laughs> I came up with years ago about that is, is technology is the only situation where we consider that okay. Um, it is absolutely. And if if I if I were a forty seven year old CEO of a Fortune five hundred company, uh, and I said, you know, I just don't understand how internal plumbing works, and and that whole going to the bathroom thing is too. I'm just going to sit here in my own crap for the rest of the day. <laughs> we would not accept that. But a guy who says, I don't know how to send an email. I'm just going to have my secretary do that. We're totally fine with that. Oh, I'm not going to say at what level of my district because I this this person is still <laughs> this person is still actually employed and it's someone who is higher up than me. Um, was told we were told that not to bother emailing this person because uh, the, I'm trying not I'm avoiding pronouns even. This person doesn't do email. It was the the answer we got, and I thought, how do you not do email? Like that's such a, a just a ubiquitous thing in life now and to to use that as a cop-out because he didn't know how to do something wow. he or she didn't know how to do something i blew it uh, <laughs> you know it, it's just it, what kind of first of all what kind of message is that sending to the kids but more so like what are you missing out on you're making life so much harder just sit down and do it and like brian said if you screw it up you screw it up and you try it again it's not a big deal well and that goes with the the one of the other points i had down here don't be scared uh yeah. what, what i tell my teachers is you can't break it so bad that i can't fix it that's my job my job exactly. is here to clean up your mess. Make a mess. Go ahead. I would much rather you uh, blow something up because you were trying than have a, a $5,000 piece of equipment sit in your room with dust on it because you were too scared to try it. Absolutely. I have a great picture. Uh, over the last summer, I was at a conference in, in New York City, and I had a, a chance to listen to him speak, but then also meet Adam Bello, who does um, EduTecher, which is a, a great blog, and he's just all over the place. But he had a, a great picture he had actually taken while he was at one of the schools in his district of uh, a brand new smart board or I don't know if it was an inner right or one of those like a interactive whiteboard um, mounted on the wall and in front of it someone had taken an, an old school projector and they were using the projector to project overheads onto the smart board and it's like that's just so bad like it was just it was such an atrocity to see something like that useful being used in such an archaic way but yeah someone was scared to plug it in and try it out I actually had a teacher recently fill out a ticket that said my projector bulb is out. Okay, I keep spares of those on hand, not a problem. In between classes, uh, I grabbed a, a bulb off the shelf and went into uh, her classroom, and um, the projector was on and working. And I said, I don't understand. I thought it was out. She said, no, no, my overhead where I write my transparencies, that bulb is out. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it was closed out. the door and walked away. Yeah, it was out 20 years ago. Stop using yeah. it. <laughs> I simply said, I don't deal with those. Maybe try the librarian. Right. <laughs> um, nice. I, I will have to say only because I heard Mark just refer to a projector lamp as a bulb. I'm, I'm going to, to draw one of my pet peeves of learning the basic set up in your classroom some basic troubleshooting steps um we actually have um smart boards in our classroom 
and they have projectors that project an image onto the smart board coming from a computer or a document camera and things like that. But the easy answer, you know, whenever something goes wrong with any of those devices from the teacher is my smart board is broken. And by smart board, they mean computer connected to this system, the document camera connected to the system, the projector connected to the system, and also the actual smart board connected to the system. And so, you know, number one, you know, technology will fail at some point if you're using it. And number two, learn some basic troubleshooting. Um, again, speaking for myself, when we're talking to, to teachers and stuff, but as techs, we want to help you so that you're able to help yourself in some of these situations because sometimes it really is just a small thing that you can resolve and get back rolling and everything so we love to help you you know kind of enter our world if you will for a little while um and learning those basic troubleshooting things a it, it helps us because then we show up with the right tools and the right stuff to help you but b it might avoid even calling us and you could be back in business and your emergency is not an emergency anymore. So um, learning the different parts of, you know, the technology and rebooting is always a good, good option. Um, some of those basic troubleshooting steps are, are things that will help you become a better teacher because it'll, it'll take away some of the fear. It will help you get back and, functioning again. Let me throw in also on top of that, Brian, knowing the correct terminology for things too, like the lingo. And I get that a lot of it people are intimidated by, but it drives me crazy when people don't know even just the very basic you know, terminology for what's on a computer or parts of a computer. Um, good example, last year we started implementing a netbook project, a one-to-one netbook computing, one-to-one computing initiative at our school. And I sat in a meeting one day with an administrator. And again, I will try to avoid pronouns, even though I didn't do a very good job of that last time. And uh, this this person in the course of like the hour was actually uh, referred to the netbook once, uh, half the time he or she referred to uh, the the netbook as a lap book. And then later on, it just switched to a net, net top. So she had no idea, he or she, darn it, um, <laughs> He or she had no idea what this thing was. Didn't even know the the, the basic generic name for it, and uh, it, it just it makes it harder to follow, especially like Brian said with like troubleshooting. But it also just makes it difficult to understand the the basics. You know what's going on with it. So that's another thing. I don't know if that even counts as a resolution. That's more well, of just my pet peeve. Just a, a comment <laughs> on that. This isn't about uh, uh, you being. Attack. We, we don't expect you to be attack. You're a teacher. This is about learning enough of a vocabulary to help us troubleshoot your problem. And that's, sure. that's really what it comes to because, uh, the, the, what we need as techs is data. The more information you can give us, the better. Don't, don't ever think you're giving us too much information. That's not possible. Uh, I've had people go so far as to write down the, the DLL error messages on Windows. You know, that doesn't always help me, but I'm glad they did it. Because sure. our, you know, the trouble ticket system we use has two fields: has short description and long description. Short description helps with that triage thing I was talking about. But oftentimes I'll get short description computer. Long description doesn't work. And <laughs> so that means now I I can't work on solving your problem until I contact you. So it has to be an email or a phone call. And if you're teaching class, 
then that's no good. And a lot of these things I can fix remotely, right? I can tap into your computer. I can move the cursor behind the scenes without you knowing it. I can work my wizardry there. But if I don't have any information, I can't do that. I have to wait until your conference period and go see you and ask you what the problem is and then try to fix it. So it will behoove you to learn a little bit of the information and provide as much data as possible. And it's just something you need for life now. Uh, it's not something that's just school or just professional. Even in your outside life, you need to know these things just so that you can communicate. It's another part of our language now. Uh, there's actually a really good YouTube video, and it's from a couple years ago now. I'll find the link and stick it in the notes, where someone went out. I don't know what, I, I want to say it was maybe Firefox, maybe someone from Mozilla, but someone went out and just randomly pulled 50 people that were on the street wandering around, and all they said was, what is a browser? And then film their answers and their answers are just downright comical because no one had any idea what a browser was even though everybody uses it but it really goes to show how how little people know about the things they use every single day yeah don't point I, at the box and call that the cpu right <laughs> exactly <laughs> i i would say along with that i, I notice a, a lot of um teachers and users in general um are afraid to admit that they don't know and from my perspective if you're asking to you know you know what is this or how do i better understand this or what are the details and to me i'm more excited that you're interested in learning than i am frustrated that you don't know because, you know, we all started at a point where we didn't understand what computers were or email was new to us or um, these projector things. We had to learn, you know, what the parts were and how they functioned. We've all been there what, to varying degrees that we can remember that. But if you're willing to learn and want to learn, that is so much more encouraging than I just don't care and I can never learn this or the embarrassment of not knowing um, what's going on. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason to be embarrassed because you wouldn't walk up to a plumber and ask him to recite Maslow's hierarchy of needs to you. You know, it's just, it's not in his realm of expertise. I don't expect you to know um, anything, really, but I do expect you to at least try. Sure. Or at least want to know what's going to affect you or what's going to be helpful for you, you know? <laughs> The the analogy I like to give to my teachers about describing what the issue is and, and giving the best um, you know supporting evidence and, and data um, for the issue is think of a student who walks up to your desk and goes, I don't get it. And how that just infuriates you as a teacher. <laughs> because I don't get it. You know, as a teacher, I would just be like, I'm sorry. Right. And of course, <laughs> the, very back next, the, desk. <laughs> the very next thing is what don't you get? I've got to get right. more information. Exactly. And that process is exactly what we as techs are dealing with, you know, with the teachers. You know, they're saying we don't, it's not working. And we're saying what's not working. And then, you know, comes the game of 20 questions. And so if you can think of as many of those types of questions that you would ask a student, you know, what is it? What part of that are you struggling with? What were you trying to do to begin with? You know, some of those things, just answering those questions really helps us, you know, help you because we understand that the school thing is totally not about the technology. It's about the education. And 
So all we need to do is get the technology tool working again so that you can do the education thing the way you need to. Right on. All right. You want to move on here? I feel really bad. I'm feeling guilty because now this really is turning into just like a, a bash everybody that's not the three of us conversation. Have you noticed that? <laughs> it's constructive criticism. It is. It's very constructive. And now we're not going to have a single listener to our show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My next resolution is please do not unsubscribe to our podcast because of this. Um, you know, no, okay. I, on that note, ahead, we, can do, we can do fun stories. I feel like even all the all the, the stories that kind of lead up to these resolutions, aren't they just going to offend more people? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, here's here's a story then. Go ahead. I I was working a help desk at a previous job, and we had you know the one caller that always called us all the time, and you know typically it was for small things, and you know they weren't necessarily major issues. But for the teachers who are afraid to, to call and think, you know, that I have the worst issues going on, I received a call one day at the help desk, and um, the the caller on the other end of the line just started shouting. I couldn't even understand what they were saying, and there were curse words involved. There was a lot of um, hostility, if you will, coming from the other end of the line, and my first thing was, I don't even know what we're talking about. You know, I had no data. I had nothing to go on. Well, you know, long story, she goes through and, and we calm her down and, and find out what happened. And she was a person who actually did take matters into her own hand. Um, the projector said that it was overheating. And so she took a thing of canned air and sprayed it directly on the projector lamp which subsequently exploded <laughs> well in exploding um you know there's chemicals and things like that um, gases in the uh projector lamp and there's an accelerant in the canned air um it shot flames out and if you can picture um this teacher had you know the 80s um aquanet bangs and everything um, it shot flames out and actually burned her hair. And this is the um, best story ever. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, on our side, I'm hearing the story after I finally got her calmed down. And I just, I really couldn't contain myself. I was trying to be nice and polite. And I'm just imagining, um, you know, because I knew her personally and I'm imagining the look on her face and, you know, the way she's describing this to me and everything. And I'm ever sure since she was that, a glow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> ever since then, I'm thinking to myself, you know, whenever I hear an issue or an irate teacher, I still to this day think, well, at least your hair's not on fire. That's right. <laughs> Well, and, and I had something in, on my list uh, uh, that sort of goes along with that, only not uh, not the hair on fire thing. But <laughs> when you're immersed in a situation, particularly if it's one that you have been dealing with for a while and you've been trying to resolve, you are frustrated and angry, okay? So maybe you've spent 45 minutes dealing with this problem, and you have reached the 45-minute frustration, I'm going to rip somebody's head off point. <laughs> then you call me. I'm not there with you yet. I just got here. 
Okay, give me forty five minutes and I'll be upset with you, and we can we can go rip somebody else's head off together. But I just got here, so I'm going to need to gather some information. So I will ask something like, "Well, did you try this?" Which is an insult because of course I tried that. How stupid do you think I am? I've been dealing with this for forty five minutes. Okay, fine. I didn't know that. Now, did you try this? You idiot! Of course I tried that. Okay, all right. Now, now I know that. Okay. Now, did you try this? Oh. Okay, so just give us a, a minute to ramp up there with you because we don't have the, the experience that you do as you get in that situation. That's where my degree in psychology actually comes in handy with my job. Ooh. See, I've always thought that a, a tech, um, particularly in the school system, should actually be required to have a degree in psychology because oftentimes when we come in um, – my experience has been is sometimes the the teachers will vent with us or sometimes um, you know they just want somebody to listen to them and we happen to be there working on a computer and so they talk and and so a lot of times I think you know perhaps on a job description we should put you know psychology you know psychology degree preferred or beneficial might be the right way to write it well, that's me. I have a degree in psychology with a with a double minor in uh, counseling and Spanish lit. So naturally, I became a computer tech. There you go. Um, and then I parlayed that into podcasting because clearly those things are all related. Now, have you Absol- ever used your psychology degree for for evil when you're in your your job? <laughs> no, no, no. I would oh, never yeah. admit to that. No, but honestly, it is very helpful if you can do some of those uh, techniques. Sure. And and often uh, people are are need more to be calmed down than they do to have their problem solved. I mean, the problem is there, but the irateness that the problem caused is really sure. what's causing more more damage. See, that See, just what, gave me a great idea for a show. Come April, April Fool's time, whenever our show falls around there, we should just do our, our top technology pranks. Because there's oh, a bunch of good ones out there you can do. You can really mess with people. <laughs> oh, wow. That is good. Yeah, keep that yeah. in the back of your head because I think we're going to do that. Oh, it's yeah. in the front of my head now. That's you, all you I can think about. You don't want your IT guy playing pranks, though, because he has the power to really go nuts on you. Yeah, you That's always what... win. I The extent of mine is when you, you sneak into someone's room and you take a screenshot of their of their their desktop and then you set that as a background and hide all their shortcuts and they can't figure out how to click on anything good classic one but then yeah mark with all the passwords everything just makes my computer explode and right. my hair catch on fire so I, i'm not going to mess with the <laughs> it guy i could just post one of your private emails to your wife on a forum somewhere and you there know, you go <laughs> well see speaking of wife i was thinking about the psychology thing and you know as, as a guy we like to fix things and what I don't understand is how when I am at school, I can listen to the teacher and I can hear, you know, what the issues are and everything like that. And I'm perfectly content with just listening to the issue and, you know, kind of moving on. And a lot of times that's what it, you know, they're looking for. And then I get home and my wife tries to tell me something and I immediately want to fix it. And that just never works. So I'm wondering, you know, if I could flip those around, maybe I could be more productive at work and not in trouble so much at home. <laughs> no comments, gentlemen? Uh, you know, when it, when it comes to <laughs> dealing with uh, uh, the, the opposite sex, I have no, no purview whatsoever to be speaking. Sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just let that one rest then. Is that right? <laughs> well, why don't we, uh, we move on to the, the next 
tech resolution, uh, shall we, gentlemen? So I, I got one. Uh, and this is something actually that Brian and I talk about all the time, and it comes up in almost every episode because almost every guest that we have, uh, I find via Twitter because I'm on Twitter quite a bit. Um, and that's something that, you know, I talk to my my own colleagues all the time, and uh, all the time they'll say, well, where do you get these ideas or where did you find this resource or you know, how did you connect with this person? And I'm always saying, well, it's through blogs. It's through um, Ning. I'm on the English Companion Ning uh, on Twitter, all these different social media sites. And when I say that right away, when I say social media, it's almost like I've said a dirty word in school because mm -hmm. so many schools, you don't talk about Facebook. You don't talk about Twitter because those are like where the bad kids go. And and people still have that misconception that that's a bad thing. So I think my my final biggest resolution that any teacher should do if they haven't already is get on and start a Twitter and start um, your own blog or start a Ning because really what those things do is they start your own little personal community. I mean, the, the big catchphrase is your PLN, your professional learning network. And we've had guests on in the, in the past that have talked about those, but it, it, it's real and it really does help you. And it really does generate some great stimulating ideas that you can use. And it's amazing to me that uh, teachers haven't really embraced, or some teachers, I should say, haven't really embraced that yet. Yeah, it, it is Twitter, meaning, you know, specifically for me, um, blogs and, and other things like that. But Twitter just seems to be so much more of a ongoing or regular conversation of resources, um, both give and take. You know, I ask a lot of questions there and get responses that are helpful, but also um, responding to other people's questions. You know, don't just be a, a receiver in it, but also seek out people that are doing something that you're familiar with and help them um, or just simply encourage them, you know, that what they're doing is, is good or um, is, is helpful or on the right track or something like that. But to me, Twitter has been um, a real connection point for um, in, in, in my particular job, it's, it's been that way because I kind of view Twitter as the water cooler conversation for those people who work alone. And as teachers, as much as we do have other teachers with us at the school and things like that, the truth of the matter is, is we're alone in our classroom with the students. And, you know, having Twitter is kind of like a, a connection to that outside world, to other people who speak adult just like us. Um, and, and so it's a, it's a great connection point. Oh, totally. Actually, I just recently, speaking of connection points, uh, just recently I was contacted, uh, through a, a chain of different people that we knew, mutual friends and, and whatnot. Uh, I was connected to a teacher in Ontario. So just over the border from me who was doing his own in-service about having Twitter being used in classrooms and with teachers. So he actually Skyped me in to talk. I guess I was the resident expert for the, the session, trying to convince all these teachers that it was a good thing. And one of the very first questions that I got from one of these teachers was, well, it, it's too hard to follow. It's too hard to understand. It's, a, you know, you get on and you're kind of catching snippets of other people talking and, and their conversations. And I don't understand what's going on. And that's true. And I, the analogy that I used was, you know, going on Twitter, especially when you're following a, a bunch of people, it's kind of like eavesdropping in a crowded room because you're hearing little snippets of everything. But sure. what's going to happen is 
most of that stuff is going to go over your head and most of that stuff is completely irrelevant to you. But there's that one little conversation that you pick up on and it's extremely beneficial. Again, think about you're standing in a, a busy bus station and you're hearing little bits of people talking and little pieces of cell phone conversations, one side of, of the conversation. Most of that stuff goes right over you. But every once in a while, you get that little snippet. You hear that one fight or you hear that one argument on, on the phone and then you kind of tune into that because it's interesting and you pick up on something. And and that's a, a good way to explain Twitter, I think, in, in my opinion. So did you just call the millions of Twitter users eavesdroppers and, and voyeurs? I think you did. Uh, myself included. And I, I, I'm proud of it because I'm trying to recruit more people into the club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with a little Twitter eavesdropping. I like that. Uh, you know, and the other piece, too, and actually this is a... a uh, if you are a little intimidated, this is a good way to look at it. You don't even need a Twitter account to take advantage of it because one of the things that's really sure. cropped up over the last couple of years that's huge are the use of hashtags because what that basically do does is it, it filters out some of that that noise and it gives you a really focused conversation that you could be uh, tuning into. So there's a bunch of links to them. If you just Google it, it'll come right up. But um, there's all kinds of hashtags that you can be using. Uh, there's the EdChat hashtag. And actually, our very first guest on the show was um, Shelly uh, Terrell, who is one of the, the moderators for it. But EdChat is a great place to go. And anything that's on that EdChat hashtag are, are all conversations, are, are all tweets that people send out that are specific to education. Or there is one for EdTech. The EdTech hashtag is the same idea, but it's more focused on Web 2.0 tools and technology and those kinds of things. And you don't even need an account to go look at those things. You can basically use it as a little mini blog stream, in a sense. You can go on, you can look for that hashtag, and uh, kind of follow that conversation. It makes it a little bit easier and more focused to get some benefit out of that. Absolutely. With all of those ideas, here's my next resolution. Pick one. One thing. One simple thing, doesn't matter what that one thing is, but pick one thing to try and then do that very well and just, you know, kind of put all the other ideas on the, on the back burner. Once you kind of get that one, you know, that one lesson, that one piece of software, that one connection, what, whatever it is, just do that one, do it well, and then slowly add things. Because when you look at adding, you know, I need to now blog, I need to use Twitter, I need to use Ning, I need to, you know, all of the great, you know, links and resources, you know, from previous podcasts that we've talked to and different guests have brought up. That's overwhelming. That's just a lot of stuff. How are you going to so do that? <laughs> so wait, so we've now been talking for an hour and Brian, your final tip for everybody is ignore everything we're saying, but one little piece of it. <laughs> yep. Listen to it all. Get all those great ideas. And then just pick one. There you go. <laughs> now, I believe what he's saying is is one professional development tool and podcasting is clearly the one that he would recommend above all. Ah, uh, there you go. Absolutely. Is there anything else? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but it, it is. It's it's one of those things, and I guess I can speak for myself because we didn't start off the show in that cliche, like, what's your resolution for the year, Brian, kind of 
thing that you know <laughs> people typically bring up at this time. But in the past, like every year, I do make a resolution. And it's always something small, and it is. It's that one step forward and something I wanted to do. And it's not always technology, but you know, one year I told myself I was going to learn how to play a few songs on the piano for the following Christmas. And it's something as small. It's a small step forward that you want to do. And you look at it as your professional life and your professional life as a teacher, whether it's technology related or not, make yourself a resolution. That one thing that you think you should be doing or you should be trying, pick that one and try and mm -hmm. then go back and do everything else that we said. Absolutely. You can't forget the go back and try because once you get that one thing down, now you're going to go, Oh wait, I can do another one thing. Right. And before you know it, you know, you're a full on, you know, teacher nerd just like us hey watch you you're calling a nerd i go by geek. <laughs> i consider these affectionate terms yes yeah I, I fair fair enough fair enough <laughs> all right well i guess i think that hits all all my big resolutions the biggest pet peeves i have uh do we have any parting words brian or mark anything that we missed out on um i i think that's good um the last bit would be um, make sure you update your software if you use a computer. <laughs> the last nerd request. There you go. Keep it updated. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I guess that about does it for this show. Um, next week, let's talk about next week real quick before we get to the context. I'm actually excited about this one, as I am with all of them, I guess. But next week, we're going to be joined by um, the CEO of Sprigio.com. And Sprigio is actually a great website, especially for teachers and, and school districts um, that are looking to uh, help fight uh, cyberbullying and bullying and those kinds of issues that they have in their school. So we'll be talking with him. His name is Joe Brazis, and uh, he'll be on back i guess our, our regular format next week uh, if any of you are going to come back and listen to us after we just told you all the bad <laughs> things that you do all year long <laughs> um, no 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 no. we told them things that other people do and they should feel good about themselves because they don't ah there we go we were uh, we were singing to the choir is that right right <laughs> right. Well, and if you are angry at any of the things that we said um, brian tell them how they can contact you <laughs> I was just going to say, if you're angry of anything that, that we said or you have a comment or a question or um, would like an opportunity to rebuttal, um, the, best <laughs> way to get a hold of, um, the best way to get a hold of us is to actually contact John. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the way to do that um, would be, um, of course, the Element OP website. So if you go to elementop.com and slash tightwad teacher, um, you can see all of our contact information there. But we would like to point out a couple new things. Number one is the, uh, the new Element OP mobile app. And that is available on Android. And are we still in the waiting, waiting, waiting soon. stages? <laughs> we are. We're, we're waiting for me to get a Mac. I can't upload it without a Mac. So, I, and I don't have access to one. So I'm going to have to wait until I go back to school where I know a couple people who have Mac. <laughs> so uh, we're still still waiting for the iOS app, but that will be coming soon for... Sometime uh, before the end of civilization. I'm pretty sure we'll have it up there. <laughs> well, that means we're down to the last year. <laughs> right. So... So for people like Sean and other, you know, Mac lovers, they can have their iOS apps too. Um, other ways, of course, um, we mentioned Twitter. So you can find John at John Mikulski. You can find me at Bruger. 
Um, and you can also find our Tightwad teacher group is at element op slash Tightwad teacher. And um, you can also find Mark. Is it at Mark Cockrell? Yep, that's me. And, um, of course, facebook.com slash element op um, is not quite there yet. So... Um, or for our uh, tight white teacher stuff, you can go to elementopi.com or facebook.com slash elementopi, excuse me, um, and phone 559-I-AM-OPI. You sounded so excited to be doing those, Brian. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm um, stumbling over them today. Well, it, the list has actually gotten shorter over the last couple episodes. It's been nice. So, all right. Well, I guess that about does it uh, for this episode. Uh, gentlemen, have a good New Year's, huh? Thank you, sir. Happy New Year to you. So, uh, for the Tightwad teacher, this is John saying Happy New Year's, and I'm signing off. And Brian signing off. And Mark saying I was the first to sign off. Quit stealing my stuff. <laughs> <laughs>